Hey, Marcella. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella, do you know what a winter squash is? No, <laughs> I have no idea what a winter squash is. What if a winter squash is just a summer squash that went to vacation in Florida? <laughs> Love that. I've been thinking a lot about that, and I still don't really know the difference. That's an interesting thought, for sure. Never really thought about it. <laughs> I just woke up this morning and needed to know that information. I had actually no <laughs> idea. Perfect. I didn't know there was more than one type of squash, so... Lucky for us today, we're going to welcome back Robin Norton from Rainbow Gardens, the event manager here in San Antonio. And she's going to be talking to us about winter squash, tomatoes, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm excited. And you know, um, from the last time I learned a little bit about hardiness zones and I went, I went ahead and I Googled, like she told us to what my hardiness zone is. And in the episode, I think I said I was like in 7A or 7B, but I'm actually in 8A. So I just wanted to take back that misinformation and make sure that the listeners know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so are you really an AA or did you just make that up? I did not. I Googled it. <laughs> All right. And like Robin said last week, Google is your friend. So we can go ahead and get, we can go ahead and get started with this week's episode. Sounds good. Oh no, nothing to add. I don't know. <laughs> this is should I say something like sounds good? This is why we have a podcast together. All right, folks. Yes. And now the episode for real. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder, what the f am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Welcome back to part two of our talk with Robin Norton, event manager from Rainbow Gardens in San Antonio. In this episode, we learn about companion planting, tomatoes, squash, and gardening fails and successes. How, you know, you mentioned that this was just a couple of years ago where you became interested in gardening. So yes, where would you begin with your research? What do you suggest for the new gardener in terms of where to look for, you know, this the internet like is is fabulous. YouTube yeah. videos are excellent. Um, it, I read a lot of articles. Um, yeah, there are, of course, classes you can take as well. Um, the master gardeners have um, a program that you can do, the master naturalists, if you're wanting to do more native plants. You know, there's all sorts of programs. Gardopia Gardens is a local nonprofit, and they have some gardening classes as well. Lots of places. Of course, our website, we've got uh, our YouTube videos and, and lots of helpful blogs and other information, you know, a planting guide and learning center. So, you know, our website is also great. Rainbowgardens.biz is also great place if you're needing to learn more information if you're outside of san antonio absolutely you can just get on the internet i'm sure and just kind of look and see what's local to you oh, and it's going to be it's going to be master gardeners probably everywhere so if you just start yes. typing it in then that would be a really great place to start yes it would 
And so we talked a little bit about setting your, your plants up and making sure that those little babies are going to be healthy and grow into healthy adults. And can you talk a little bit about pest? We do have an entomologist that's going to come on and talk to us a little bit more about pests, but just kind of briefly in your experience, what are some things you can do to kind of initially help them kind of the, the, the pets kind of stay away from the, from the plants? Well, one thing I do very frequently, um, I will buy ladybugs and lace wings. And we, you know, your gar local garden center should sell those. Um, and I like to buy those. I like to have a good population of those because they kill off a lot of the, the, the pesty bugs. These are more beneficial bugs. I don't necessarily myself buy praying mantis. Some people do. And if I find them in the in my garden, I'll, I'll leave them be. But being a pollinator gardener, gardener they do eat caterpillars and butterflies. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily introduce them to my yard. But if you have a vegetable garden and stuff and that's not something you're worried about, you know, Praying mantis are great for that also, just helping those pesky bugs because, you know, during the growing season, you know, you have tomato hornworms, you have a lot of sucking insects like thrips and aphids, leaf-footed bugs, cabbage loopers, pill bugs, you know, you name it, lots of different types. So I would just want to add one thing that praying mantis are so cute. They are very cute. <laughs> they are With very their, cute. They're little cute alien faces. They are the cutest yes. things. And they and, kind and, of look like boxers. <laughs> they, do. they do. And and I would say, Marcella, that's a really great question. Um, one thing that I would add to that is um one thing I I do all the time, but when I was a brand brand new gardener, you have to go out and look at your plants all the time. So they mm -hmm. will tell you if something's wrong. Right. If you're Absolutely. looking, you go out and, and you look for bugs or you look for signs of damage. And also you can get on the internet and kind of look, hey, what is signs of damage from these specific pests look like? And you can kind of know like what's going on with your plants. If they have blossom and root or if they're, you know, the leaves are being bitten. You kind of get really, you you learn very quickly how to recognize caterpillar munches is what I call them. Oh, so yes. you can know of something like that. So yes, dear listener, look at your plants all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very important. You can't just plant it and forget it. It's a, it needs a little upkeep. <laughs> that definitely makes sense. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about what heirloom varieties are? So an heirloom vegetable is an old variety that actually predates modern agriculture. Most modern vegetable varieties are genetic hybrids, which means that they are basically a cross of at least two parent uh, varieties. And they're conceived and developed by seed companies. And these hybrids are known for like their quick growth or their high yields or that they might be resistant to common uh, pathogens. But heirlooms are typically grown for their flavor. They usually have, you know, a very distinctive flavor of some sort. And, uh, you know, there are some that are kind of smoky flavored, some that are kind of sweet flavored. And I really didn't notice a difference until my sister grew a bunch of heirlooms and she was telling me, and try this one and try this one. And they really <laughs> do have different flavors and, and, and are very, very good. Yes, I would add that the, uh, the risk to heirlooms is that you'll never go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Your taste buds will be too fancy. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Shannon, what heirloom varieties do you have in your garden? Like all of them. I okay. think all of them. <laughs> gotcha. I think everything out there right now is probably heirloom. I, I do a lot of heirloom tomatoes. Okay. Right. So right now, I don't know. Actually, it's a, my winter garden is happening right now. So I don't know what's heirloom out there. I think I may have some collards that may okay. be some sort of heirloom variety, but I have to go look. That's a good question. I'll have to find out and I'll put the answer okay. in the show notes. That sounds good. Are they harder to find? Are heirloom varieties harder to find because they predate? They can be. Um, 
it, it seems like they've become more popular here recently. So okay. we do have a pretty good mix of both here. And we try to bring in some, you know, unusual things as well. So, you know, okay. to try to suit everybody's needs. <laughs> Yeah, and that if you're looking sense. for if you're looking for something that's heirloom, you can like go to a garden center, and they usually like uh, here in San Antonio they have a great selection. But some seed companies also specialize in you know in getting heirloom varieties. Like I'm just a weirdo that has to go to find a, a seed that somebody smuggled off a mountaintop in Pakistan back in 1843. <laughs> like those right. are the kind of things that I go after. You know, or if it's something that was, you know, almost died out and somebody brought it back to life. And now, you know, I, I just really like the history around those things. So okay. you can definitely find, you know, those kind of plants anywhere if you look. But sometimes they can be a little tricky, a little harder to get. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk about growing flowers in a garden? So the differences be and the differences between a perennial versus a biannual versus an annual flower. The difference mainly is the life cycle. Annual plants germinate, they bloom, they set seed, and they die all in one year. And um, biannual plants have a life cycle of two years. So they germinate, they grow one year, then they bloom and die the next year. Everything that lasts longer than two years is considered a perennial, which in practical terms usually means it grows and flowers for many, many years. And a lot of gardeners have a combination of all of those things in their, in their garden. They want a nice pop of color. A lot of times the annuals will push some really fabulous, beautiful blooms and then, you know, then they're gone. But then you, you you might want something that's always, you know, you're always going to have in your yard. It might be a native that kind of dies off a little in the winter and comes back, but you know, it's something that's reliable and dependable. Would you say that your um, hardiness zone impacts whether a plant is a perennial, annual, or biannual? Absolutely. We have okay. some plants here that uh, up north, they cannot grow as perennials and we can grow as perennials okay. here. So temperature gotcha. does play a huge role in that. And so everything that I typically grow in my garden dies, well, not because I kill it, just because that's his life cycle. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so every time I see people who like grow flowers and are talking like perennial or annual, I'm like, look at you and your big words and the definitions you understand that I don't understand because that's right. not my life. But no, so um, can you talk a little bit about, so one thing I've always been, I'm still not 100% clear on, I grow tons of tomatoes yes. and there's always determinate tomatoes versus indeterminate tomatoes. What yes. does that mean? That can be very confusing. Determinate tomato varieties will not continue to grow and produce all season long. Instead, they have a set lifespan where they produce and then they die off. So mm -hmm. the growing cycle for a determinate tomato is very distinct. They will grow produce. Uh, um, they'll grow and produce their blooms and everything all during the same time frame. Whereas okay. the indeterminate ones are like heavy, heavy producers and will yield much more fruit than the determinate varieties. Got so it. they usually do take longer to, to begin producing, but once they get started, they'll continue going through until, until the frost. And the fruits are usually larger on most indeterminate varieties, but can also be much slower to mature. So most gardeners will grow both types. Uh, the determinant for the large harvests for like canning and freezing, and then the indeterminate to get the fruit for salads and sandwiches and throughout the growing season. Okay, that that's, that's super useful information to know. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the more we talk about some of this, I'm envisioning like 
have you guys, obviously you guys have gone out to eat like at a restaurant and you'll like order something and the waiter stands in front of you and asks you a bunch of different like follow-on questions. Like, do you want, what type of dressing do you want? And what kind of bread do you want? And what kind of this do you want? And I'm like, there's so much that goes into cooking. So like with the, just with the tomatoes, there's a, there's different types of tomatoes and you have to make sure that it's just, it, 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 it's, it can be very overwhelming. It sounds like. Yes, yes, definitely. Marcella, are you ready to have your mind blown even more? Uh, yeah, let's next, do it. My next question <laughs> is winter squash versus summer squash. Can you talk about what that means? Because you can you can grow winter squash in the summer. Right. I know it's 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 insane. So the primary difference between summer squash and winter squash is the skin. The summer squash is soft skin squash and the winter squash has a hard shell. Um, Mm. all squashes are warm weather plants and they will, um, um, but they, they will not, not all will tolerate the freezing temperatures. Uh, vegetables that keep well became known as like winter vegetables that would keep until December. So that's kind of how it got its winter squash name um, because uh, it could, uh, you know, you could store it for months in a cool basement. That's the main difference uh, with those winter squashes is that they can be stored for months on end and have like a tougher skin. Whereas the summer you would be uh, needing to eat that, probably harvesting that, I'm thinking end of August or so. So a lot of the difference depends on how long you can store them and how you harvest them and keep them. Correct. Okay. The, yes. the first the first winter squash I grew, I literally took it by its name. I was like, oh, you can just grow like in snow. And it was like, <laughs> right. <man." laughs> yes. yes, exactly. So it, it straight died. So <laughs> yes. So yeah, the summer squash, it, it grows a lot faster and the the winter squash, you know, I guess that would be the one that you're saving for winter. So it's kind of like when you're consuming it is why, it. where it got its name from. So when you're consuming it, okay. <laughs> you know, from our discussion with you, it's no question that everything in, in the garden works together um, yes. and um, kind of relies on each other. Um in some ways. So um, can you talk a little bit about companion planting and how it's beneficial to a garden and what are some plants and herbs that pair well together with pretty much anything? Sure thing. Yes. As you mentioned, friends can offer you support and help protect you from some bad stuff out there. And your plants know this too, and they are there to help each other. And it is basically when two plants are grown close together for the benefit of one or both of those plants. So the benefit could, you know, be go one way or be mutual, but that could be as simple as growing nectar rich flowers among crops to attract pollinators or two vegetables grown side by side to confuse and repel pests because some pests are very specific about what vegetables they like. And if they, you know, were to smell garlic, they, they wouldn't want to go anywhere near it. So, uh, definitely. Now, one example of, um, companion planting that I think is a good one is the, the three sisters trio, which is, was corn, maize, and uh, winter squash. And these were commonly planted together by various Native American communities due to the plant's complementary natures. So the tall corn supports the climbing beans and the low squash shades the ground to prevent moisture uh, loss and its big prickly leaves discourage uh, weeds and pests. And uh, the fast growing beans are nitrogen fixers. So they're actually adding nitrogen 
to the other plants and making it available for them. So um, that's, you know, definitely a, a, a good example of companion planting that has been going on for years and years and years. Plants pair well with most anything. Growing calendula and cosmos near your plants will attract tiny parasitizing. I don't know exactly how to say parasitizing wasps <laughs> and uh, hoverflies. And marigolds will draw in those pest-hungry beneficial bugs also. So doing marigolds, calendulas, or cosmos, you can pretty much plant those with anything. And those are going are gonna to help with that. Hi. Seed in the shade here again. A few weeks before planting your spring garden is a good time to get your garden beds ready, check your soil, add soil nutrients, and remove any stray weeds and pests. Start by getting rid of any weeds that have appeared before they go to seed and cause season-long problems. If you had problems with caterpillars or cutworms in the past, you will want to weed thoroughly, then turn over the soil at least 8 inches to find and remove any pests who spent their winter vacation in your garden beds. Other benefits of companion planting, as we mentioned, the deterring pests but and attracting those beneficials, but also shade regulation. As I mentioned, those flowers, we, I can definitely recommend, can be pretty much planted with anything. For tomatoes, you know, basil usually tastes really good. With tomatoes, it kind of gives your tomato a little bit of a, a basil-y flavor, and they, they just really complement each other well. I know those two off the top of my head, but there's actually quite a few that you can plant together. And you'll also want to look at, again, watering needs and soil uh, needs and light needs. You want to try to have those things planted near each other that all require the same things. I love how you started by connecting it um, to like our, our social needs as humans, like how some yes. friends and some, you know, aspects of our community can be really good for our growth and really beneficial Absolutely. to our well-being while others can not so much be that way. So yes. Shannon, you are my companion plant. I was going to say that our, our, our friendship is like companion planting. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely will. Um, some of the things that you, that you also talked about, Robin, uh, I will say that marigolds are the like goaded of, of flowers in a garden. Like they, they've done so well. And I think that they definitely add it to helping the plants out that I've companion planted them with. I companion planted, I'm, I'm getting better at doing that. I actually put basils and tomatoes together. And I will say the ones that had the basil actually grew the best, but the basil kind of got taller than the tomatoes. So oh, wow. <laughs> and actually, my basil won't die. This plant is still pumping. I don't know. I think wow. it's out of spite for the universe. I don't know. It's still growing though. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so Robin, what, what is your favorite plant to grow in the garden and why? I was thinking about that and I, I've got a couple of things that I have several of planted in my yard, but I also started thinking in terms of what I recommend for new gardeners or customers that come in. And I think my favorite is the blue plumbago. And the reason that I like it is it's just a great all around plant because it's drought tolerant, it blooms in the sun or the shade, it's on the SAW's recommended water saver plant, it's a pollinator plant, it's a Texas superstar plant, which means that Texas A&M has tested it and said it's great for our area, it's easy to grow, it's not poisonous for your pests, and it's deer tolerant. So to me, that is like the perfect plant. So that's my number one plant that I recommend is a blue plumbago. Super easy, very easy plant. And, you know, the pollinators like it. It's just the best of everything. Sounds that's like amazing. That, that plant sounds like it is like a, where's the little superhero cape on his little cape? Yes. 
because when you had me at like drought tolerant and a deer's yes. will eat it, um, I, I, I planted one of my first gardens when I came back to the U.S. I was living in 7B and I planted these beautiful mums. I mean, and I don't, and this is the last time I planted like flowers. I planted these beautiful mums and I came outside one day and like all the deers, all their bellies were oh. full of beautiful mums. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, Robin, no question that, um, obviously you've had a lot of experience doing this. So one question that we had for you, is what's a gardening fail so big of yours, um, that might have almost caused you to give up? Well, it, it's kind of related to the deer that we just talked about, <laughs> um, you know, it, and it's, it's sadly, it's happened a couple of times, you know, I will work so, so hard on an area and have everything just like I want it. And then I'll come outside and I'll see that, you know, the deer, raccoons, squirrels, armadillos, anybody, uh, so it destroyed it. And uh, it's very frustrating and it does kind of make you want to give up. But I realized that, especially during this last year when we had this severe drought and this heat, um, you know, these poor animals are just searching for food. And, um, you know, there are things that I can do. There's natural repellents, you know, they, they don't particularly like cedar and put some fencing up. There's things I can do. So, you know, it's just, it's part of the ecosystem and I've just kind of had to make peace with it. It's not the best feeling when you come out and something you just planted, you know, is halfway across the yard, but it is what it is. You know, that, that can be frustrating at times, but, you know, as I said, I think your plants serve a purpose and you're helping the greater good, you know, then, then that's, then that's okay. Yes, my, my husband calls it the nature tax, but I'm always like, I'll fight a deer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do I chase won't. them out when, they, when I see them in the yard. Yeah. And yeah. so what's a gardening su success that you had that was so great and you were like, this is for me, definitely. Well, I think, you know, when I first started my, my butterfly garden, you know, I started to see results and, uh, that was super exciting. First, there was just one or two here and there, which was super exciting for me. Eventually I would look out and I had, you know, 50 different butterflies out there and it's like, wow. And then, you know, as soon as my neighbors started telling me, wow, I see so many butterflies and it's so beautiful. Then I, I knew I, I did it. I got it. I'm, I'm there. So now I just keep adding more and more plants trying nice. to attract more and more butterflies <laughs> Mar Marcella we got to figure out we got to we got to figure out what you need to grow so that you can like have this success and it just makes you want to just love everything all I the, agree I agree because I could just feel your excitement um about that success just in you answering that question so I want to have that too dang it so yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna do some research and I'm gonna I'm gonna think about this because I definitely want to have that feeling. I think so, Marcella's um, I think Marcella's a, a fairy garden. I don't know. I just see yeah. <laughs> and you know what? When you said that earlier, that's what I was thinking. I definitely am gonna do some research on that fairy garden because yes. that definitely drew my attention. So what what would you say is a misconception about gardening that you wanted to spell here today? Well, you know, here in San Antonio, it is not possible to grow every fruit and vegetable that we find on the shelves. And that's probably true in most areas. The temperature will just not allow for that. We can most certainly make supplemental food gardens in our yard, but not everything will grow here. And again, you know, timing is everything. You know, avocado trees take years to grow and start producing avocados. You know, there, there's many examples I can give, but you can't just stick a vegetable in the ground at any time and it will grow. Uh, you know, you've got to do your research um, is is uh, basically, I think, 
something important that I would like to, to a misconception I'd like to clear up. You hear that, Shannon? (laughs) (laughs) Many people are so sad when they find out that they can't grow everything to make salsa in one sitting, in one season, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry, that's just where we live. (laughs) Marcella, I feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> me and my banana my banana plants I'm trying to keep alive right now so. oh, yes. <laughs> and Robin when you're in the garden do you listen to any special tunes any special music do you have like a soundtrack that you particularly like or that your plants seem to like well it honestly depends because like if I'm on my lunch hour and you know toward the end of the season my plant will my backyard will start looking like the plant nursery because I'll just buy plants and I'll keep bringing them home and they're not in the yard and I'm I'm not in the ground yet and I'm saying to myself you know the freeze is coming I've got to do this so I'll do like a power lunch hour and I'll go home and I'll put on some like ADHD techno music you know and then I'll put the timer on and I'm like I'm putting in 20 plants now and I'll, I'll go do that and then you you know, there's other times where, um, you know, I we're it, it's really hot and and the plants are not looking good and I might you know be playing I will survive, or or uh, you know, um, sometimes when everything is just beautiful and perfect for whatever reason I think probably just because I was you know growing up and listening to music with my parents in the car I'll start thinking of really corny '70s songs. Oh. <laughs> soft, soft rock. So it varies just depending on my mood. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I I was telling Marcella this summer, it was such a scorching hot summer here that I um, had these, I had these little heirloom tomatoes that like rocked and they even like, some of them are still even growing now and they were just amazing. But, but in the, in the summertime, I would go out and sing, don't stop believing to them. Yes. So I think that's why they're still alive. I bet so. Yeah. They they love that positive energy for sure. (laughs) So is there a veggie or an herb in your garden that you most identify with, Robin? I would say if I had to pick one, I would I probably say maybe parsley because, you know, uh, I am a, a pollinator gardener and black swallowtails eat parsley. So I feel like, you know, I'm living for a purpose. I'm trying to help provide for future generations. I love that. Thank you. That's a really good answer. <laughs> How about you, Marcella? Do you have an like herb that you would uh, identify with? Um, I don't know. I really like the taste of garlic. So maybe garlic. I don't know. I feel like it's really pungent and I love it in everything. So I think that's the, that's the one I'd want to be most like. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say I identify with garlic or the, the basil in your garden that you said is growing out of spite that just keeps, keeps on surviving no matter what. <laughs> that is a hundred percent you, this basil that's still alive. And <laughs> what about you, Shannon? Oh, oh my goodness. Herbs. I don't know. Probably. Oh, so I did try to grow, uh, like a whole bed of, uh, chives and, um, oh, wow. I have, I have one chive, like literally not like one <laughs> section of chives. I have one, one single chive. chive that somehow like lived out of none of the this whole bed is empty and one chive is in it so that would probably oh, yeah. be me right now <laughs> <laughs> and so um so Robin can you tell us I know we talked a little bit about this before but just to kind of wrap it up um if you had to pick maybe top three places where listeners could go and learn about you know how to start a spring garden what are kind of three places that you would point to the beginner or even a person who just wants to, you know, learn a little bit more and kind of get their garden in shape for the spring. Um, 
yeah, uh, of course, our website, we have a, a lot, a lot, a lot of information for people of, at any level of gardening. Um, we've got lots of, um, we have a, something called the Learning Center. So uh, on our website where you can go in and, and ask specific questions about something, or you can just put in the search tool, you know, um, ingredients for uh, salsa, you know, what do I need to grow or, you know, whatever you'd like to do, it, you know, what uh, hardiness zones or anything that you're, you're interested in. Um, and we also have YouTube videos on our, it's Rainbow Gardens Texas uh, is our YouTube channel. So we have some helpful YouTube videos. Also, we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, but also the um, the text, the master gardeners, uh, and, and as you mentioned, it, not necessarily here, even here in San Antonio, but they have master gardeners everywhere. You can just type in master gardener programs near me, and I'm sure something would come up. Uh, but here, relative to San Antonio, also Gardopia Gardens, they're a nonprofit, and they're all about going out to the community and helping, and they uh, have some classes as well that um, would help. And we have classes here at Rainbow Gardens also. Very cool. So where can listeners follow you, Robin, or find um, infor more information about uh, what you do? Uh, I am actually on uh, YouTube uh, at Rainbow Gardens, Texas. Um, I do our YouTube uh, videos, and um, I also um, uh, am in charge. I'm the event manager, so I put together all the classes here and everything. So if people are wanting classes on a specific thing, they can reach out to me, and I can try to find someone to teach that, or I can teach that. And um, we just really want to help people and and you know be successful with their gardens and and be here to answer any questions that they have. Well, awesome. It, this was like amazing. So I'm so happy that you accepted an offer from a crazy lady to come on. Our podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for because asking. <laughs> you me. I really appreciate it. it. It's been really amazing. And so um, we'll definitely make a note of all the, the places that you listed. We can get more information in the show notes so people can go check those out. But thank you, Robin, for being on the show with us today. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been the CD and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plan. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening.